Welcome to another episode of Good Value by Antipodes. Brazil is a market that doesn't get a lot of airtime in the world of global equities. Historically, it's had high inflation, high interest rates, and hasn't always had a stable political environment. But the backdrop is changing. Fundamentals are improving. Inflation is falling, rates are falling, and policymakers are embarking on fiscal repair. And on top of this, valuations are attractive. So at Antipodes, we want to put Brazil back on the radar. I'm Alison Savas. To take us on a tour through this commodity-rich country with a big population, including some interesting investment opportunities we're seeing in Brazil, I'm joined by John Stavliotis, Antipodes Portfolio Manager of Emerging Markets. Great to have you back on the podcast, John. Thanks, Alison. John, I want to start with your elevator pitch. Why should investors be looking at Brazil today? Sure. So... Look, from a cyclical perspective, um, it's actually an attractive point in the policy and economic setting. So just quickly, inflation has been dealt with. Um, the consumer is, is sort of recovering and, and rates are at their peaks and, and coming down. We've had three cuts. Um, then from a structural perspective, Brazil and LATAM more broadly have got a really good long-term drivers, right? Young population, it's um, the, the region is a key enabler of the energy transition through having the largest reserves of critical materials. Uh, the region feeds the world. It's got huge tracts of farmland and, um, and their relations with the US are not falling apart, at least on a relative basis. So, you know, although the political environment may not be as favourable as, let's say, India or Indonesia, uh, where, you know, ease of doing business has been improving at far greater rates, we think that the long-term structural drivers are attractive and there are improvements in the political environment in Brazil. And then lastly, for the elevator pitch, um, stocks are cheap. Uh, the market's trading on an average PE um, one year forward of nine times and that compares to 12.8 times um, for the last 15 years. So for those reasons, we think it's, it's an attractive time to be investing in Brazil. I do want to come back to those structural points. But first, let's start with the cyclical setting as it sounds unique across all economies, not just emerging markets. So inflation and interest rates have dominated headlines globally. Brazil's inflation shock two or so years ago was a little different to the rest of the world. It was driven by drought from La Nina and the impact that had on power and food prices. Inflation ultimately hit 12% just over a year ago, but the Brazilian central bank was relatively front-footed. So the CELIC, which is Brazil's cash rate, ended up peaking at 13.5% around that same time. So we think 5.5% in the US is a high policy rate, but 13.5% is a really high rate. (laughs) Now, these, these rate hikes did their job. Inflation's fallen considerably, and now the central bank is cutting rates. So at risk of jinxing the Brazilian economy, it looks like inflation is under control. So how much further can rates fall and how has the household fared throughout that inflation and rate hiking cycle? Yes, yeah, so, so front-footed could be a bit of an understatement, right? Like the rates, the selling rate went from 2% to 13.75 in less than 18 months. Um, that's really, <laughs> really addressing the, the problem, right? Um, and, and, you know, we, like you said, inflation has been dealt with. The last reading was 4.8%. Um, that compares to the last reading in Australia of 4.9%. Um, mm. and, and we think that inflation in Brazil is on track to hit about 4% in 2024. 
uh, and then continue to to decline thereafter. So we, we've had three rate cuts so far and the select rate has um, dropped to 12.25%. Um, but that leaves real yields, which is basically um, your interest rates less inflation at 7.5% in Brazil. This is higher than almost anywhere in the world. Um, US, to put into context, the US is at 27 Australia is at 1% on the same measure. So this mm. means Brazil's got room to cut even before the US um, starts cutting rates. And, and, you know, this process will accelerate as the US does begin to cut rates, which positions mm. Brazil better than most other countries um, in that scenario. When we look at what the market's currently pricing, um, there's a further 50 basis points cut um, in December to finish the year. And the market's pricing a further 2% cut by mid-2024 to 9.75%. You know, in terms of what's, how the household, household has fared through this, look, the retail sales felt the pinch. Like, they felt the pinch, so retail sales came off, but they are improving. And now back to 2%, um, MPLs at the bank's non-performing loan ratios are also improving. So we actually think um, the household has done fairly well given the moving rates that we've seen. So what do lower rates mean for Brazilian equities? Presumably it's positive. And what do lower rates mean for the currency? Sure. So I'll start with the cash flow impact. I guess if we look at corporates firstly, the high cost of debt from from higher rates was really impacted earnings and cash flows of these corporates. We saw a large corporate default of a retailer called Americanas at the start of the year that sent shockwaves through the the market. But importantly, since then, corporate credit availability has improved and we haven't seen um, other defaults. So cash flows corporates Mm -hmm. will improve. On the household side, look, Brazilian households aren't as indebted as many other economies in the rest of the world. Household debt to GDP is about 35%. And that's that's low relative to the GDP per capita. Um, but regardless, the high rates did impact household spending, as I mentioned. Um, we have seen mm-hmm. an improvement. As rates continue to improve, um, this will also allow these households to potentially borrow more and, and, and spend more. So that'll be, that'll be um, I guess an improvement from household cash flow spending. For equity specifically, we think the biggest impact will obviously be on valuations through a lower cost of capital. Um, As mentioned earlier, Brazil is trading on a 30% discount um, PE to the last 15 years at at, um, 9.8 times. So particularly companies that have got high debt are trading at very low valuations. So we actually think that um, the the lower rates will be a catalyst for, for the valuation improvement. For the currency specifically, um, the higher real yield means that even as rates are coming off, we don't see pressure um, on the currency. Uh, a few other measures that we sort of track is is the difference in fiscal spending. Um, so the mm. government is managing fiscal spending quite well, which is supportive for the currency, and also debt levels um, coming down, especially corporate government debt levels coming down, is also quite supportive for the currency. So we're not we're not concerned mm. that um, the currency will come under pressure as uh, rates come off. Mm. Now that provides a really good rundown of the cyclical setting. So let's turn to the structural opportunity. Brazil and Latin America more broadly is rich in commodities. And you, you called it out in your elevator pitch. You mentioned that Brazil can feed the world and be a key enabler of the energy transition. Pretty big call. So can you unpack this further and touch on what this could mean for equity investors? 
Sure, sure. So it's, it's really big structural opportunities for, for equity investors, right? So the energy transition, firstly, this is a global phenomenon. It's going to require decades of investment. Now, low carbon technologies uh, are much hungrier for certain minerals than traditional equivalents. One simple example is electric vehicles um, have three to four times the amount of copper than an ICE vehicle. Now, LATAM controls many, or LATAM has control over many of these key commodities. Um, and in most cases is the lowest cost producer. Brazil specifically is exposed through graphite, tin um, and nickel. And importantly, um, they, they, are, they are the lowest cost, low cost producer in these minerals. Um, the second point is as we go through this transition, there's going to be more and more focus on the energy intensity of processing these materials and also, you know, mm. processing other, um, you know, actually creating these um you know, whether it's batteries or wind farms, et cetera, et cetera. And Brazil has got a very clean energy um, sources when you look at their electricity generation. 66% comes from hydropower. Um, so this is really important from a low-cost perspective but also from an ESG perspective. Um, mm. Moving to food, LATAM is the largest net exporter of food. Um, it provides 60% of the world's soybeans um, 30% of beef, poultry and sugar. Um, and, and really when you think of global population growth, like, you know, if you look at global forecasts, it's about 1.5 billion persons growth by 2050 um, with 6 billion of these people you know, to 9.7 billion and 6 billion of these people will be in the middle class that will demand more food. Uh, LATAM mm. is best placed um, to to supply that. So... You know, I think these are structural opportunities that investors can get access to. But importantly, it also helps in the development of these countries. It, it will um, allow for job creation. Uh, it provides more stability uh, for a country like Brazil. And, and again, competitiveness, we've already mentioned the cheap electricity in the country. Does a dependence on commodity exports introduce a level of volatility to investing in Brazil? Yeah, sure. So if we just look at the exposures, so commodity and energy are very large contributors to the economy. Um, so th there is going to be an inherent uh, vol volatility with that. Just a couple of numbers to put into context. So 7.5% of government revenue is related to resources. To break that up, 5.5% of that is tax revenue. The other 2% is dividends from state-owned companies mm. like Petrobras. From an economic contribution... Um, Agriculture, energy and iron ore exports represent about 10% of GDP. That, that's a gross figure. So like, for example, energy, um, they export crude and import some processed energies, but that, that puts it into context of how, how big of, of a contribution there is. So in, in mm. the short term, there are volatilities, um, but I want to sort of go back to what I mentioned in the last question is that self-sufficiency in these critical commodities is an attractive mm. attribute over the long term. Mm. I guess we can't ignore Brazil's specific links to China. Brazil is a large exporter of soybeans and also you just mentioned iron ore and China is a big, perhaps the biggest consumer of both of those commodities. And China's demand for iron ore specifically is linked to the property sector, which is structurally shrinking. So I'm loving a big question at you, John, but how do you think about Brazil's leverage to China? 
Yeah, so it's, it's definitely something that needs to be considered. Like I'd break it up into, into those key areas. So the first one would be soybean, which about 60% goes to China. Um, and, you know, agricultural exports are about 40% of total exports. So it's, it's a significant part, um, a, a significant contributor to, to the economy. On mm. soybeans, what I'd say, though, is that this should be more resilient, right? These are essential products that are non-discretionary in nature um, and, and shouldn't be impacted by the, the macro slowdown in China. Iron ore, as you mentioned, property exposure, the complete opposite, right? Very, very macro driven. Um, but iron ore is far less important than agriculture or energy. Um, if we look at the tax revenue, it's less than 1% of GDP and it's about 14% of exports. So, you know, the, there is a slowdown happening happening there, but we don't think it'll be as, as material to the economy as, um, as some may, may imagine. Another little interesting statistic um, is that if you look at the beta of the Brazilian index to the China market, so in other words, the sensitivity of, of, um, of moves in China to the Brazilian index, it's only 0.5 times, which um, is, is not as high as you may think. Just explain, just explain to our listeners what you mean by that. So what that means is a 1% move in the Chinese market index results in a 0.5% move in the Brazilian market index. Okay. So there's clearly a strong long-term structural opportunity, but as you raised at the beginning of this podcast, politics and regulation have not always been supportive of the Brazilian market. The election of the left-leaning Lula government a year ago led to concerns around government spending and fiscal deficits. Brazil has a large public sector and fairly generous social security programs, which are hard to reform. And Brazil has structurally high interest rates. But the outlook for government spending does look better than feared. So can you take us through what you're seeing? Yeah, sure. So, so when, when the Lula government um, came into power, there were a lot of concerns around what would happen with fiscal spending, what would happen to state-owned enterprises. And, and I think so far we, we've seen a more sensible approach to, to, most, to most of these factors, which, is, which has been quite positive. Um, you know, one example, the restraint um, in fiscal spending at a time when nominal growth has been quite high and also we've seen better commodity-related revenue has actually meant that government debt to GDP has improved to now be 75% of GDP um, versus 90% at the peak of COVID. Um, One of the key key changes relating to fiscal spending has been the removal of a spending cap and replacing it with a target to get to a primary fiscal balance in 2024 and surplus in 2025. Now, look, we're not expecting that a a primary fiscal balance will be achieved in 2024. It looks like it'll still be a small deficit of call it half a percent. But the intent is there Mm -hmm. and we think that, you know, a balance in 25 is is realistic. Now, we haven't seen a primary um, surplus since 2013. Um, deficits have been consistent and sort of running at that 1% to 2% at a primary level um, since then. And if we did return to a primary surplus, you know, we, we expect we'd see much more support for the mm-hmm. currency um, and it would also structurally lower cost of capital. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is something you're watching very closely and it would be a very positive um, 
shifting from a, a policy setting. The, the other change that's happening is around tax reform. Um, so there's a whole bunch of corporate tax reforms that are, I'm not going to go through in detail right now. But, you know, if, if we saw a better corporate tax system, it, w- it would really improve the ability of companies to invest and improve that ease of doing business. So, you know, as I said earlier, you know, c- countries like Indonesia and India have, have been going on this path of improving ease of doing business. And that's, that's really resulted in re- much better returns from companies and, you know, in- improving valuations of companies. And we're not there yet with Brazil, but there are some positive signs is the way I'd describe it. John, you've set the scene for us macro-wise, so let's move to stocks. You're constructive on the Brazilian economy and a nice way to get broad exposure to an improving economy is via financials. We own Itaú in the Antipodes portfolios, which is one of the leading private sector banks in Brazil. Can you take us through the competitive dynamics of the Brazilian banking system and the specific opportunity around Itaú? So Itaú is one of the leading private banks in Brazil with 12% share of total loans. The banking market's quite consolidated. So top four banks have 46% share of loans and state development banks have another 23%. Uh, As I mentioned before, uh, household debt to GDP is quite low relative to other countries and we think that presents upside to loan growth and credit penetration over the long term. You know, given where rates have been, loan growth has been a little bit more muted and there's been concerns of asset quality. But now that rates are starting to come off, um, we are, you know, you know, we think there's a positive setup for an improvement in risk appetites and sets us up for strong growth, loan growth into 2024. Um, if we think about Itaú specifically, um, it's got an exposure to the wealthier customer base. It's credit card spend per card is 50% higher than the industry average, and they have the highest deposits per customer across the banks that we, we look at in, in the country. So, so we think this is a competitive advantage for profitable lending. Basically, they can cross-sell products um, and they can help manage MPLs through the cycle and they've got a strong track record in doing so. Um, looking at the valuation of this bank, it's trading at 1.3 times book value uh, this is lower than the 2015-16 recession, which was quite harsh in the country, and it's below the 10-year average price-to-book multiple of 2.1 times. Now, this is despite an improving outlook. Um, and, you know, also what I highlight, this bank actually generates an ROE of circa 20% right through the cycle, um, loan growth around 10%. Um, and lastly, when we look at the dividend yield, it's it's yielding 6.5% of the current share price and management indicating an increased payout and distributions to the shareholders over time. So, so we think this is a really attractive setup for the Itaú shares at the moment. That valuation is interesting, isn't it? You've painted, well, particularly given the macro backdrop that you painted for us in the first half of this podcast. It is curious that Itaú is priced on a lower multiple than, than during the 2015-2016 recession, just as you called out. So what is the market worried about? Yeah, so, so one of the key ones is um, lower interest rates. Like clearly that's um, you know, not good for banks, but um, what, what we'll call out for Ito is they've got a much lower rate sensitivity um, compared to the typical banks and compared to banks in Brazil. Now that's due to a multi-year shift in the loan book. So 
They've gone towards less uh, rate-sensitive products um, like mortgages, and it's due to their policy to hedge out the interest rate risk on their securities book via derivatives. Um, and and this, is, this is really interesting because this is where all the banks in Brazil have a different policy on their hedging um, prof- profile. It's quite a company, uh, Brazil-specific issue. Um, and ITO is one of the, one of the more, um, what I would call, prudent banks that hedges out that interest rate risk. Um, and that's going to prove very profitable for them um, in the coming year, or at least is not a big headwind. Um, mm. The other worry by the market is around credit costs. Look, we're seeing signs of peaking already and um, NPLs are, are actually coming in better than we expected. And we see earnings growing by about 20% from here. And, you know, going back to the market structure, the Brazilian banking market is still very underdeveloped. Um, 25% of the population is unbanked. Um, and Ito, with their focus on the top end, you know, wealthy customer, has a big opportunity to expand the, the credit products that they're selling to their customers which will give them strong growth into the long term. And that's a good point, though. So who's bringing banking to the next generation? Yeah, so a company that we own in the emerging markets portfolio is NewBank. Uh, they are a digital bank um, that has best-in-class cost structures, um, I'd say globally, and that's because they've got no branch network and they've got a very high focus on customer satisfaction, which leads to high referrals. With that, since starting in 2018, they've been able to amass 40 million credit card um, customers. That's the same number of credit card holders as Ito has built over over its life. Um, The key difference is the average TPV of the customer of Newbank is only two-thirds of what it is for Ito. So they do have that focus on lower income cohort and sort of developing the banking system in Brazil. Now, they've proven themselves through this NPL cycle in Brazil to be good underwriters, um, which removes a large risk to the bear case. Uh, And now they've got a big opportunity to cross-sell. And basically, they've started by offering credit cards. You know, eventually they can move to personal loans or, um, you know, um, um, payroll loans, uh, which is a big product in Brazil. And that will provide long-term growth. Um, They're also moving to Mexico, which is a large, you know, large underbanked um, market and if they can disrupt um, that market the way they have in Brazil or at least you know develop that lower end of the market as they have in Brazil that will be a big growth opportunity. The last stock I wanted to chat about is a new addition to the portfolio Sendas Distributora. So I'm fairly certain Sendas is not going to be a household name for our listeners but it is in Brazil. It's the second largest grocery retailer via the SI brand. Now, the company has had a challenging 2023. It acquired a bunch of stores, funded these acquisitions via debt in a time when interest rates had been really, really high, and this ended up putting a lot of pressure on earnings. So what are you seeing to make you a buyer of this company today? Yeah, so uh, Asai, which is leading the cash and carry format, this is really Brazil's preferred method of discount grocery. So many of the global um, discount grocers have tried to enter Brazil, but this cash and carry is the format that has worked best uh, and has been the first mover in that um, cheap, reasonable priced um, grocery. Uh, it's ta- the cash and carry format has taken a lot of share in the grocery segment. And now about 20% of total food sales in Brazil are being sold through this format. Uh, and we expect it to continue to take share over time. 
Uh, as you mentioned, there was, a, there was an acquisition. So basically they bought a number of stores um, that were previously supermarkets um, and with a plan to refurbish them to cash and carry format stores. Now that transaction concluded in October 2021, just as rates were starting to go into a liftoff mode. And, you know, that, that, that put a lot of pressure onto the company because of the debt they took on to, to complete that transaction. Now, looking forward, now that many of these stores have been refurbed, we've actually seen that they've been able to very quickly achieve their target of tripling sales um, compared to when these same locations were operating as supermarkets. Um, now, that, that, that's a very attractive return that they've been able to achieve and it's a, a big risk of um, the refurbishment ha- has sort of been addressed. Um, one of the other issues that has impacted the company is actually... Uh, we talk a lot about inflation around the world, but in Brazil we've had food deflation. And, and it goes back to the comment you made right at the beginning that, you know, the high inflation was initially caused by, um, you know, the drought and impact on, on food pricing. Um, so food pricing went up a lot, it's come off and we've had food deflation. Um, that's Food deflation is very, very, um, very negative for like-for-like sales growth of grocery stores and and that's been a big headwind um, whilst you know wage inflation etc has been high now we're starting to see that food deflation um, you know bottom out or you know prices starting to come back up a little bit and we we think that'll be a big driver um, to help like for like sales improve um, you know over, over the next 12 months so you know our, our sort of analysis on this company suggests that profitability is going to inflect, um, especially as these new and refurbished stores mature. And we actually think we can hit margins that were higher than before this transaction was completed. And we have interest rates falling now. So that seems like it could also be a significant impact given the debt load. Yeah, exactly right. So they took on a lot of debt with that acquisition. So so the, the good news is that the leverage ratios have peaked back in Q1 2023. Um, and, you know, we're on the cusp of this big deleveraging that's going to happen. Uh, and that's a combination of the falling rates, as you mentioned, but also as these converted stores are maturing and starting to generate a lot of free cash flow and also CapEx um, having peaked already. Um, so, so the important thing here is we're not betting on rates move. Um, this debt is very well termed out. Um, so we, you know, the debt's termed out, the cash flow is there. It's, it's a grocery chain, which has very good free cash flow. Um, so the debt issue is not a liquidity risk. It's more of an earnings risk. So even if, if, um, rates don't come down, um, the impact would be potentially less earnings growth rather than liquidity risk, which, which we think is very important. So regardless of this move in rates, we see EBIT CAGR of about 20% from 2022 to 2025. Uh, and the stock's trading on 14 times um, next year's earnings. So, you know, we, we basically see a, a big opportunity for a re-rating in this stock as they prove the earnings growth from these refurbishments. And then lower rates will be an added kicker as the interest rate um, costs come down, comes down quite a bit. John, thanks for your time today. You've given us a great summary of what's going on in Brazil, as well as some interesting investment ideas for our listeners to think about. Great. Thanks, Alison. I hope, I hope, um, hope you enjoyed the, the discussion on Brazil, which is a market that doesn't get as much attention as it should be, in our, in our view, at least. Absolutely. 
For further information on Antipodes, head to our website antipodes.com and you can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. The content in this podcast is general information only. It is not advice of any kind and doesn't take into account your personal financial situation, objectives or needs. You should seek professional advice before making any financial decisions. Stock commentary is illustrative only and not a recommendation to buy, hold or sell any security.